two foundations of Pentecost dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. Father, we're thankful for the privilege that we have to come before you. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we look into your word. God, I pray that we might let your word sink into our hearts, Lord, that we might meditate upon it, that we might hide your word in our heart, that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have been on a uh, series on First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, last week we started looking at chapter 5 of First uh, Thessalonians, lesson entitled Practical Christian Living. And uh, we began reading at verse 12. And uh, um, time would not permit to get through the entire lesson. And, and when I put my notes together, I knew that it wouldn't, so I ended up breaking it in two parts, um, but did not get as far last week as I thought I would into it. But uh, So this morning we're going to pick up a reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but we'll start at verse 14 rather than at verse 12. And... Read down through verse 24. The Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that you render evil for evil... Let me start that again. Verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. To the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful is he which calleth you, who will do it. We talked about last week the fact that the Apostle Paul was writing in chapter 4 and and in the opening verses of chapter 5 was uh, uh, talking about the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church and and uh, speaking about future events. But then he turns and he begins to talk about some of our day-to-day living and our practical living and and how that we are to uh, uh, conduct ourselves in the house of God. And uh, uh, he is uh, instructing us because when we talk about prophecy, it should cause us to live our lives, a pure and a clean life. And, and uh, that is the hope of the Christian, the coming of the Lord. 
but but it should affect our day-to-day living, not just uh, be something for a mental exercise. And so uh, we begin to look at what Paul has to say. We noted last week that he talked about our attitude, our attitude toward leadership. And he tells us, first of all, that we are to know those that labor among us. And then he tells us that we are to esteem those that labor among us. And then we are to be at peace with one another. And uh, that's as far as we got uh, last week is uh, point one of my outline. But uh, so this week we want to pick up with verse 14 where he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Not only is there a responsibility among the leadership of the church, but as believers, we each have a responsibility to minister one to another. Not only is it the responsibility of of those who are in leadership positions in the, in the church to minister to the congregation, but we as individuals of the body of Christ are to minister one to another. And so there are some things that he tells us in our attitude toward other believers within the congregation. First of all, he says, warn them which are unruly. The book of Galatians chapter 6 Verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself also, lest thou be tempted. A lot of times we are tempted to, uh, and there is a tendency for people to point to Jesus' words in Matthew when he said, Judge not that ye be not judged. And then he goes on to talk about, said, said how is it that, that uh, you, you are trying to remove the moat from your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own eye? And so a lot of times uh, there will be people say, well, we, you know, don't try to judge other people. Don't try to, to correct other people because, you know, we have our own faults as well. But Jesus didn't say, don't try to remove the moat from your brother's eye. He said, remove the beam from your own eye first, then you can see clearly to remove the remote. Or, remove the moat, not the remote. Remove the moat. And he said, he said uh, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the moat. In Galatians here, Paul is telling the Galatians, he said, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are, which are spiritual, restore such a one. In other words, the goal of warning them is restoration. If our goal is to destroy someone who is unruly, someone who is, who is out, then we are in the wrong. But when our goal is restoration, to bring them back into a right relationship 
with Jesus Christ. To bring them back into a right relationship with others in the church. The Bible says that those that are spiritual are to do it. The carnal man cannot restore someone. It needs to be those that are spiritual attempting the restoration of those that are unruly. And then he says, in a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of humility, considering that we might also have faults. Some of the things that he's talking about when he says to warn those that are unruly, he is dealing with in the church at Thessalonica, those that are idle. And we see, especially when we move into 2 Thessalonians, he's dealing with, there were people at the church at Thessalonians, or at Thessalonica, that, that had, had, were waiting for the coming of the Lord, so they just quit their jobs. And they were idle waiting for the coming of the Lord. And their idleness had caused them to become busybodies and gossips. And so Tom, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes a person has to be in a right spirit and in a right attitude. Say, you know, you need to mind your own business. Quit poking your nose where it don't belong. I mean, you know, that's probably not the wording that we should use, not the, the way that we should use it. But he says, warn them that are unruly and the purpose is restoration not the destruction of the individual. And so many times, if we're not careful, we allow the wrong attitude to get into our hearts. And we want to just, you know, we see, and sometimes rightfully so, we see people that are, that are doing wrong or that are unruly in, within the church, and boy, we want to just go straighten them all out and line them all out and, you know, uh, run off the dead weight or whatever. But that's not what the Bible says. Our goal in confronting them is restoration. To bring them back to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, not only are we to, to uh, warn those that are unruly, but he tells us that we are to comfort the feeble-minded. The idea of the feeble-minded individual here is to comfort those or those that are faint-hearted, those that need encouragement. One particular author said that it was those that are timid. There are people that sometimes need to be encouraged. Did you know that's the purpose of the body of Christ? Is to comfort one another, to, to exhort and to help those that are... There are times that there are those... And the, the Thessalonian church was going through persecution... And he said, sometimes there are those who need encouragement as they are going through trials and as they are going through testing and we are to comfort one another. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, 
bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Those that are struggling among us, we are to help them to carry their load. The word comfort, so often we've, we've heard it. But the word comfort means to go along beside. Or the, the original Greek. And, and a lot of times we hear it talked about when we talk about the fact that the Bible says that, the Holy, that Jesus would send another comforter. The Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, our paraclete, is one who walks along beside. One who goes along beside. But did you know in that respect, we are to do the work, the same work that the Holy Ghost does in our life. We are to do that in the lives of other believers. We are to go along beside them and help them as they go through struggles within their life. When there are times that a person may be questioning their faith, when there are times that a person may be questioning their standards or their doctrine or, or some things like that, we need to go along beside and offer comfort and help support them. But a lot of times what we do instead is we, oh, did you hear about brother so-and-so? Did you hear about sister so-and-so? But instead, we need to go. And you know what the Holy Ghost does when He brings us comfort? The Holy Ghost goes along beside and He tells us about Jesus Christ. You know how we comfort one another? Is when we talk about Jesus Christ to our brothers and sisters. We come along beside them when they are in need. That's what we do when we, when we comfort someone at a funeral. And, and I've talked about this kind of thing before, but when we comfort someone at a funeral, the family's standing up by the casket and we come up at the viewing and, and we come up and, and we say, you know, uh, hey, what do you think about this weather we're having? And, and did you catch the ball game the other night? No. We go up and say, you know, your mom, your dad, your brother, whatever, he was a great man. I really thought a lot of about... And we start talking about the individual. I remember standing beside my grandfather's coffin with a number of my cousins. And as we stood there, we started telling stories. It wasn't long we were standing there at the casket. We were laughing because we started remembering funny experiences that we had had with my grandfather. And it brought us comfort as we stood there. And so when we, when we comfort one another, we come along beside them in their time of need, in their time of distress, when they are down, when the enemy is battling against their soul, we come along beside them and we begin to remind them of Jesus Christ and the words that Jesus said. We remind them that Jesus said He would not leave us comfortless. We remind them that Jesus said He would be with us until the end of the age. We remind them that Jesus said that will be times that we go through persecution. We remind them of the words of Jesus. 
you know how we can do that and the only way we can do that we have to know the words of Jesus and in a time and in an age when we have the Bible more readily available to us than ever there are a majority of professing Christians who never read the Bible and do not know the words. We can't comfort one another unless we know what the Bible says. And so we have to know the Word of God. And so we comfort those that are feeble-minded. And then he tells us that we are to support the weak. Those who have come to the end of their physical and moral resources. Those who have reached the limit. We are to support them and lift them up. James writes in James chapter 1 verse 27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We are to support those who do not have the strength to do it on their own. And again, sometimes we look at those that are weak in their faith. And so often, we may say, well, you know, a young Christian that's weak in their faith, we'll, we'll try to help them and we'll try to encourage them. But you, you know, there's sometimes that people that have believed on the Lord for a long time have become weak in the faith. Sometimes there are people that are suffering from burnout and from struggle because they have fought for so long and they need somebody to come along. Remember the story of David? The Bible says that David went to war. And as he was at war, the enemy thought to have slain David. And I, don't rem I can't remember the name right now, but one of the warriors came along beside David and helped David and fought David's fight for him. And then they said, David, you don't need to go out to war anymore. Remember Moses? When he lifted up his hands and the children of Israel war, were at war, and as long as Moses kept his hands up, Israel was winning. But Moses got tired in the, in the battle. And keeping his hands in the air because it was a long battle became hard. So Aaron and Hur came along beside him and held up his weak hands. And that's what we're to do for one another. Is to hold each other up and to strengthen those that are weak. And then he tells us, that we are to be patient with one another. Jesus said, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. 
We have to be patient with one another. And uh, that's not always, not always easy. You know, we, we like for people to be patient with us and understanding with us. But if they were patient with us and understanding with us, then they would understand why we can't be patient with them. <laughs> That's the way we look at it sometimes. So he talks about here in chapter 5, our attitude toward leadership. Verses 12 and 13. Then we read in verses 14 and 15, he begins to talk about our attitude toward our brothers, toward our sisters in Christ, toward other believers. But then in verses 16 through 22, he talks about our attitude toward worship. We need to have a right understanding of worship. God was very specific in the laying out of the tabernacle in the wilderness, in the way that they worshipped in the temple at Jerusalem, in the way they approached the altar, in the way that they worshipped. God was very specific. And God gives guidelines for our worship into the church in the New Testament as well. And sometimes we say, oh, we want, just the, we want the Spirit to lead. We do want the Spirit to lead. But we want the Holy Spirit to lead, not my Spirit. And it is important that we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our services and worship according to the Word of God. David, when he brought the ark to Jerusalem, as they were bringing the ark, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark and God struck him dead. It wasn't because Uzzah didn't love the Lord. It wasn't because Uzzah didn't care for the ark. Matter of fact, Uzzah was trying to steady the ark. Uzzah was trying to show his love and his concern for the ark and reaching out. But they were not moving the ark in the way that God had intended. And so Uzzah was struck dead. It is a serious thing for us to think that we can worship in any manner that we please and it be pleasing to God. And so he gives us some guidelines. First of all, he tells them to rejoice evermore. Christian joy is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on what... That doesn't mean we're to be giddy and happy all the time, but we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Understanding that God is control, in control of our life. And if we understand what He said in, in uh, uh, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord, and He said, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. In other words, knowing that the Lord is coming, we can rejoice in our times of tribulation. 
As I've already mentioned, the Thessalonians were going through extreme persecution during this time. And in the midst of their persecution, he says, rejoice evermore. We are to rejoice. Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus said if they've, if they've hated me they're going to hate you. And so when the world turns against us we can rejoice because we're on the right side. If the world hates us, that gives us something to rejoice about. Then he goes on. We are to pray without ceasing. To pray continually. That doesn't mean 24 hours a day we're constantly in prayer, but we can constantly be in an attitude of prayer. We can be ready in a moment's notice, to begin to pray and to begin to seek after God. I can remember so many times uh, uh, being with my dad and, and, and uh, uh, driving down the road in the car or whatever we might be doing and all of a sudden he'd just say, Oh God. And I'd realize we'd been going down the road and he'd been praying and all of a sudden it started coming out verbally but, but he had been praying in his mind for a long time. We are to continually. General Thomas Stonewall Jackson wrote, giving us an example of what it means to pray without ceasing. He said, when we take our meals, there is grace. When I take a draft of water, I always pause to lift up my heart to God and thanks and prayer for the water of life. Whenever I send a letter, I send a petition along with it for God's blessing upon its mission and upon the person to whom it is sent. When I open a letter, I stop to pray that He may prepare me for its contents. When I go to my classroom and await the arrangement of the cadets in their places, that is my time to intercede with God for them. We are to pray without ceasing. And then he says that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. To give thanks. That doesn't mean everything is something that we can be thankful for necessarily, but in those times we can find something to give thanks to God for. In everything give thanks to God. And then he says, he adds on this verse, this is the will of God. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Give thanks. We talked about earlier in the, when, when uh, he says in, in the opening of chapter 4, he says, he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And we talked about the fact that one of the things that is the will of God for every individual's life is that they be saved. Because the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It is the will of God that we experience sanctification in our Christian walk. 
And now he is telling us it is the will of God that in every circumstance of life we give thanks. Then he gets to an important part of our worship because he says, quench not the Spirit. We must be careful not to quench the Spirit of God. When God is moving, we must be careful. We must not only be careful. That doesn't just mean when God is moving in our services, though that's part of it. But when God speaks to us, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to... Most of the time, quenching the Spirit isn't what happens in church when we're worshiping. Quenching the Spirit usually happens when the Spirit speaks to us and says, talk to that man about his soul. We say, Lord, I don't have time right now. I've got a schedule to keep. Or we say, Lord, obviously from the looks of that man, he's not interested in salvation. Or we say, Lord, you know, that guy looks pretty mean. You know, looks like he, he you know, he might have a few weapons on him. I, I, I don't want to. That's how we a lot of times quench the spirit. Then he tells them, despise not prophesying. Prophesying not only means the prophetic utterance as far as foretelling the future, but it means proclaiming or declaring or foretelling the will and the counsel. Of God. In other words, to use some of our terminology today, it's preaching and teaching. Despise not the preaching of the Word of God. Despise not the teaching of the Word of God. And in so many of our churches today, we're putting an emphasis on the music ministry and we put an emphasis on the, uh, what we are calling worship and, and, and all of these things. But in the midst of all of this, and they have their place, but in the midst of all this, do not despise prophesying. Do not despise the preaching of the Word of God. It is important that the Word of God be proclaimed and that we hear, Thus saith the Lord. Despise not prophesying. And then he goes on to say, prove all things. He tells us, prove all things. The Bible said, quench not the Spirit. But that doesn't mean we don't try the spirits. Matter of fact, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the discerning of spirits. And he says, prove all things, test all things. Make sure it's of the right spirit. 
I've told you about it before. One time my dad went to a, a young girl that had shouted and shouted and shouted and shouted. And he was going to tell her to be careful that she might exhaust herself. And he got his tongue tangled up. And he said, got my tongue tangled up, but what I said was probably more truth than what I had intended to say. He's going to say, you're going to exhaust yourself. He said, you might need to sit down for a while or you're going to exalt yourself. There is a time for testing the spirits. We should prove and know what is the spirit behind the move that is going on. We need to test the spirits. Just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, does not mean that's what the Lord is saying. And so he says, prove everything. Prove everything. Just because somebody gets up and says, well, in the Greek it says this, or in the Hebrew it says this. Well, we have a reliable English translation. And if they're telling me the Greek says something totally different than what the English translation of that says, then I better question what spirit is speaking through that individual. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's wrong to use the Greek and Hebrew. I, I do it. I, I did. A while ago I made reference to the Greek. But we need to prove and test. There's a number of ways that we test. First of all, and most important, is, is it scriptural? Is it according to what the Word of God says? If it is not scriptural according to the Word of God, then it is not of God. One lady said she prayed and fasted for 40 days, whether or not to, for uh, a man that she had fallen in love with or in lust with to, to leave his wife and for her to marry him. And she felt like the Lord spoke to her and said that it was right and that it was okay. That is contrary to the Word of God. That was not the Lord speaking to her. I don't care how long she prayed and fasted or anybody else prays and fasts about something. If it is contrary to what this book says, then it is wrong. And then, does it magnify Christ? I told you that that uh, about daddy saying that to the girl who was shouting so long that she would exalt herself. When we are worshiping God, who are we exalting? Am I exalting myself through my worship? Or am I exalting Jesus Christ? Who is being exalted? I remember uh, when I was a freshman in Bible school, the evangelist's wife was singing in the altar. And as she was singing in the altar, a lady shouted her way up to the platform and, and shouted right beside her to where she was just right up against her. 
So the evangelist's wife walked over a few steps away from her, and the lady just kept shouting. And before long, she walked all the way to the other side of the platform, and the lady stayed right beside her. So she walked back to this side, of the, and the lady, the lady was interested in being seen. Are we trying to exalt ourselves in our worship? Are we are trying to exalt Jesus Christ? Do not misunderstand me. I am not saying every single time that this happens that it is the case. But a lot of times there is a problem when a person has to come to the front to worship and can't worship in the back. Are they trying to exalt Jesus Christ or do they have to go to the front so that everybody sees them? I'm not saying every time somebody goes to the front that that's their reason. But I've seen a lot of times when it was. Is it scriptural? Does it magnify Jesus Christ? And then does it edify, exhort, or comfort the body? The purpose of the church is edification, exhortation, and comfort. And so does it do that for other believers? And then he says, we are to abstain from the appearance of evil. Sometimes we get so bogged down in thinking about, is this right or wrong? Can I do this and still go to heaven? But Paul tells the Thessalonians, abstain from the very appearance of evil. It might not be wrong, but you could cause a brother or sister to stumble and to lose their salvation because they are watching your life and it might appear that you are doing wrong to them. And so just shun the very, if it's questionable at all, just abstain from the very appearance of evil. Then Paul says, that he prays that their whole spirit, soul, and body might be sanctified. The entire man be sanctified oh sometimes we think of sanctification as only being our outward appearances but he says first of all our spirit needs to be sanctified that part of us that connects with God the spirit of man needs to be and then he says our soul needs to be sanctified that part that is the intellect our thinking needs to be sanctified our emotions need to be sanctified and then our will must be sanctified and then he says last of all our body but if our spirit and our soul is sanctified. The body just kind of follows, is going to follow right along. So Paul prayed that they might live a sanctified life.
And we can do that by praying without ceasing. By giving thanks. By rejoicing. By proving all things. Not quenching the Spirit when it speaks to us. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that we would be challenged to live a life wholly separated unto You, spirit, soul, and body. In Jesus' name we pray. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com. Thank you.